0: If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value Entrepreneurs Podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. Are you struggling with stress? Do you feel like life is out of control? Do you run out of time to get your to-do list tackled? Well, we have a special gift for you. Stop by AddValueMindset.com and claim your free gift today. Just wanted to mention this episode was recorded earlier, and as our audience grows, we just wanted to share some of the value from our earlier episodes. Our guest today, Eric Konobalov, is an immigrant refugee whose family fled communist Russia in the early 90s. Though they left physically, Eric grew up seeing how his parents' communist mindset and belief systems were behind all their decision-making which led to struggle and lack of freedom to do what they dreamt of doing. Eric wanted something better for his life and set out to achieve it. After spending eight wonderful years with the United States Marines, Eric excelled in the field of sales and sales leadership. Today, Eric's motivation is the same as it was when he was a little kid. It's to live free and to help others live their version of freedom as well. That's why he founded The Goal Guide, a coaching, public speaking and training organization Focusing on helping people achieve their goals, live out their dreams, and become the most amazing version of themselves. Eric Konovalov shares his journey from Russian immigrant to US Marine to copier sales to teaching sales. Now, Eric is building a coaching company helping entrepreneurs and sales professionals grow themselves and their businesses to fulfill their dreams. Eric, I just wanna say thanks for jumping on the show and just being willing to take some time and share uh, your wisdom with our audience
1: oh thanks thanks so much for having me
0: now obviously you have a unique background you kind of lived you're living the american dream right an immigrant family that that literally came here not by their own choice (laughs) and
1: yeah i would say
0: (laughs) so would you share a little bit about basically giving up everything to to be able to come to america
1: Well, you know, I was I was young. I was like nine years old when when my parents decided to flee Russia, which was, you know, communist country back then. I'm not really sure what's going on there now. Um, So as a young kid, it was just kind of go with the flow. Hey, parents are moving. I'm moving with them. We got to live in Austria, got to live in Italy. And I'm sure it was very hard for them because they didn't speak the language on our way out from Russia the guards actually ransacked all the bags took what they wanted took money and um my mom hid some away but um yeah it wasn't an easy journey but we ended up in baltimore
0: <laughs> nice and so obviously um the transition in baltimore right it, you know learning language learning culture learning all of those things is is, is super challenging so hard yeah. You know, proud of your parents for, for for making that effort, right? Because obviously, you're you're much better off than than you would have been having stayed in Russia or even some other countries that you could have ended up in.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. You know who taught me how to speak English? Bugs Bunny.
0: I remember. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I remember walking up to people and saying, "What's up, doc? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's fantastic. Yeah." Well, and and obviously so many people struggle and want to learn a second language, but I, I know from personal experience how challenging that is. And and, and it is easier for kids. Mike, my, my kids oh, for sure. my kids are bilingual and, and fluent and they learned it naturally because we lived overseas when they were growing up. And what so, languages do you speak? Uh English and Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So our our family lived in and worked in Colombia for ten years. So wow. But we spent they a year in costa rica learning spanish i was a church planter i was coaching uh, colombian pastors basically on the business side of church and so coaching they were really good preachers and teachers but coaching them through all the the, the business aspects of running a church and and treating it like a, a business and so but learning a language is 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 challenging and I, our culture is very unforgiving here in the United States for, for people that, you know, don't speak the language in a lot of areas. And so, yeah,
1: I think it's getting better now than it was before.
0: Absolutely. But I I was one of those, I was one of those, hey, if you can't speak our language, you know, you you don't need to be here. But recognizing that I spent six hours a day, five days a week for an entire year just to get the basics. I would have no time for work, no time for no time for other activities and no energy because learning language takes so much energy. And so to have an expectation that an immigrant that's working an eight hour, 12 hour job and then and then trying to learn the language on top of that. Nearly impossible. And so I commend anybody that that comes into this country and and can take the time to keep working to support their families and try to learn English. Uh, it's, yeah, that's, those are, that they're beating the odds
1: <laughs> for sure. You know, we've been here for 32 years. My stepsister was 16 when she came here. I was nine. She sounds like she just came here yesterday. <laughs> I mean, she, she understands fluently, but her accent is so thick. So you're, you're a hundred percent correct. Like the older you come, the, the, you'll never lose that accent. And it's harder, it's harder to, you know, pick up the language. And yeah. as an adult, you know, I can't imagine going to a whole different country as an adult and trying to learn a new language. That's adults, I think, are way dumber than kids, you know. Oh, but a learning, it comes to new learning language for sure.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's almost it's it's aggravating, right? That you're spending all this time studying and obviously have all this vocabulary, and and my kids are fluent in both languages, so they could have a person on their right speaking one language to them, a person on their left speaking another language to them. And they'll just go back and forth like it's all day long and, and and never miss a beat. I'll get it messed up. I'll talk Spanish to the English speaker and, you know, English <laughs> to the Spanish speaker. And oh, my brain just can't. just can't. It's always a struggle. It never feels natural. And uh, so, yeah, a little envious of, of kids that get to learn language as kids and can hold you. on to it. So so obviously, as as a kid, you 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 grow up and decide to join the the military um, you know to to fight for the country that's your new home <laughs> that that's kind of a big deal but I do like your your marine story and and how you enlisted in the marines
1: thanks not not as uh not as glorious as people might think for sure
0: <laughs> would you mind sharing it I'll, I'll share mine no not at all
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no I don't mind at all it's funny I was just uh I was on a podcast earlier today, and I had to tell the story, so it's fresh in my mind. Uh, I was 17. I knew I didn't want to go to college, just a knucklehead in school, and so I decided I wanted to join the military. But not having anybody in the family who's joined the military here or served, or not having any friends who have done that, um, I went to the recruiter's office, and you had all kind of all the branches there. Uh, Space Force did not exist yet. This is 1997. We're talking. Do they
0: have recruiting offices now?
1: <laughs> you know, I was wondering about that. This is my first time ever. So I, let me sidetrack a little bit. So growing up in Baltimore, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan, and so are my kids, but we moved to Florida. Well, the Ravens a few weeks back were playing Miami uh, on Thursday night. So I took my kids, and it just happened to be for Veterans Day. They had you know how they honor veterans at these events, and they were honoring a space force veteran. And I'm like, how who is a space force veteran? It's the whole organization is like six months old. Um, but that was my very first time ever out. seeing. Yeah, it was my first time seeing a space force. I don't know what do you call those guys, airmen, soldier. I have no idea what you call them, but anyway, so back to my story. I go into the recruiting office, and you had Army, Navy, Air Force. The Marine office was there, but I've never heard of the Marines. Like, I had no idea what Marines are, what they do. So I walked into the Army guy's um, office, and it was, like, the biggest one. And he looked like, if you could picture Peter Griffith from Family Guy. (laughs) Shirt was untucked, just sloppy-looking guy. And I'm like, this is not – If that, if this is the commercial, I was 17 at the time. Like if this is their commercial, I don't want anything to do with it. Now, look, I've been around army guys now for, for two decades plus, like worked closely with them. There are some of my closest friends are army guys. So this is not a knock on army. It's just a knock on that one guy. So soldiers don't get your panties in a bunch. Okay. (laughs) It's just, I'm just telling you how I felt. What I saw as a 17 year old kid but to make you feel better the air force guy looked identical to him uh the navy guy was not in office and so i'm like my my head's kind of you know chin to chest i'm walking out like now what am i gonna do and i hear this voice say what are you two chicken s to come in here (laughs) and you know 17 year old cocky kid i kind of went down the small hallway it was a smaller office i look in there and there he is he sat there he looked like Johnny Bravo, his muscles were ripped out of his shirt like he had pictures behind him of him and his buddies at the beach with like holding machine guns, sitting on tanks like the coolest dude you could ever meet if you're a 17 year old kid who wants to join the military. So this was Saturday morning we talked, I learned about the Marine Corps. I kind of had my mind like, okay, I want to be, I didn't know I wanted to be a Marine. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be that recruiter. And his name was uh, Patrick, call sign was Animal Griffin. Okay. So I'm like, man, this guy's so cool. I had the biggest man crush, went home. And the following um, Monday, I went to school and he showed up at my school. and. In his uniform, all the medals, like looking sharp. Every girl that I had a crush on talked about that dude for a whole week, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is, is this is the true story of how I decided to join the Marine Corps pre nine eleven. The only thing was going on back then was maybe Kosovo or right before Kosovo started, mm-hmm. but America wasn't in any conflict, and I don't know if we were in Afghanistan or if we were in Iraq back then I'd be brave enough to join. So I, you know, don't give me any like heroic <laughs> kudos here. I, I went for, cause I thought girls would like my uniform. It was, it was the worst reason ever.
0: <laughs> well, mine, mine wasn't, wasn't much better. I literally had broken up with a girlfriend was walking home and three buddies that I barely knew stopped the cars and said, Hey, we're going to the recruiter's office. You want to go with us? yeah spent the whole day at the recruiter's office and uh got home and told my my parents had already gone to bed so i i just went through the door i said hey i think i'm going to join the marine corps and they had only like air force i was going to be a pilot like air force was kind of you know the dream the dream job and all my parents yelled through the door you didn't sign anything did you (laughs) (laughs) how old were you I was 17. Yeah, I enlisted yeah. My, my junior year, so spent my entire senior year slacking off because I'd already enlisted and, you know, who cared? I, I knew what I was doing. Like, they they took us three days after graduation to boot camp, so we couldn't get in any trouble.
1: <laughs> you must have had good grades because me, I had to work really hard to graduate so I could go into the Marines. So,
0: so I, I, I was good enough to, that I could slide by, but my Algebra 2 class, I was one point short of a D. And I talked the teacher into it. I said, look, I'm enlisted in the Marines. I'm already, you know, this is a matter of homework and not smarts. And so literally I've got the next four years of my life are planned. And you could ruin it all by failing me in this class because I'm leaving three days after graduation. And basically talked her into, you know, passing me. And then after I got out of the Marines, I passed college algebra first try. So, you know, proved that at least it wasn't.
1: (laughs) Very cool teachers
0: knew it wasn't I just hated school like school was just not yeah. a thing and uh, and the Marine Corps was was really good to me like I had I had you know got a couple of meritorious promotions made sergeant in 36 months in 30 months 36 no 30 30 months and Very spent cool. my last year and a half as as a sergeant and the problem for me was now I'm a, a 21 and a half year old sergeant that when you reenlist, you have to choose to be a recruiter or to be a drill instructor, which are both super high pressure. And I'm like, whew, I can't, you know, I can't do. And of course, if I'd have chosen recruiter six months later, desert storm happens and everybody in the world wants to be in it. <laughs> Join the Marines. I just, I really just realized that planning this conversation. And I'm like, oh, it would have been a would great have time. Well. <laughs> it would have been a great time to be a recruiter. So, but where
1: did you recruit out of, or where where were you Denver, in Colorado I, then?
0: Yeah, I was, I was okay. out of Denver here and then I uh, went to San Diego and spent most of my career in Camp Pendleton, but did a, a Mideast project in Egypt. So spent time in Egypt and then it did a Westpac. So I spent time all over the Western Pacific in Australia nice. and Hong Kong and uh, of course the Philippines and Korea. And so, oh, but that's, that, that's what set me up to be willing to be a missionary and then missions pastor and. And now, you know, I've taken people all over the world and, and been to Africa seven times and and uh, Eastern Europe, I've been to Kosovo and and when I was there, there's still holes in the buildings on the all the walls and to see the old Yugoslavia from where the Olympics were. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a crazy war, <laughs> like, but yeah. because it's a communist country now, they still don't, they haven't fixed the outside of the buildings because they belong. That's the government's job to fix the outside you just that's why it will never get fixed (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) no one's gonna spend the money so obviously i like i I do like your story for leaving the marines and, and 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 choosing your career path
1: yeah so i mean leaving the marines was um i was gonna enlist for my third term and my uh girlfriend at the time wife now of you know 15 years almost said nah you you're always away. That's not the life I signed up for, and so I decided to get out. F- Damn, girls, you know what I mean. Like we do some stupid stuff over girls.
0: Well, Marines cost. <laughs> Marines cost me a marriage too. So.
1: <laughs> oh, there you go.
0: Yeah, but obviously, making the decision to to leave the Marine Corps, it's all you know as an adult, and and so what do you? What yeah, do do twenty
1: six. It's all I knew as an adult, and um, I got into sales. I was selling copiers. Uh, in Baltimore did that really well, tried medical devices for a while. That wasn't for me. Uh, and then I ended up running a sales team for Xerox, grew that team, got into a smaller organization where I was the director of sales. And then I ended up ri- writing a book about it, uh, you know, how to kind of what, what is a sales process that actually works, how to do it properly in a B2B setting. It's called B2B sales secrets. Um. And kind of like you, you know, love leading, coaching, training. So here I am now, I, I run a company called The Goal Guide, kind of G-O-A-L, you know, guides you to your goals. Uh, and it's coaching, training, um, all that fun stuff, speaking.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about sales. What What is it that, that triggered working, you know, making sales work for you?
1: I think it's... The second we stop trying to sell and trying to, you know, figure out what it is that will add value to people, we'll sell more. Hmm. They'll buy from us, right? Stop, stop trying to sell to people, start trying to get them to buy from you. And it's a big, big kind of mental shift. Like you're, you know, you're you're learning from John Maxwell just like I learned from John Maxwell and grew up in that world. And one I, I got a chance to go to Paraguay with John. Um, I think it was in 2017 or 2018. And I remember sitting there and listening to him speak. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, besides a very tiny exception, the rest of the world is all about somebody else. Mm -hmm. And it took me a second to grasp it. And you really kind of got to check your ego at the door when you're grasping that. Because we're always in our own world. We are the world. Everything revolves around us. And then for John, John Maxwell, one of the largest names in leadership to say, he is a tiny, tiny exception. And that meant I'm a tiny exception. That means that the world is about everybody else. And so that little shift in mindset from me to you, not even we it's from me to you, makes all the difference, mm. especially in sales.
0: Well, it's so good. I, th- I think it makes that difference in, in relationships and, and networking, mm-hmm. right? Because in connecting and you make it, you can make it about yourself, or you can make it about, you know, the other person. And 100%.
1: And yeah,
0: so much. Um, I, I, I think, obviously, networking is changing, right? We're We're, we're more and more shifting to digital and but figuring out ways to to add value to someone else to, to not expect, like, uh, I don't know, the first chamber meeting you, you go to and there's 20 people handing you business cards and and you leave with this pile of business cards and you're like, what am I going to do with all these? And and then you start getting all the phone calls, right? Oh, I got your business card at this thing and, and this is what I do and this is how I, uh, you're like, oh no, <laughs> what have I gotten myself yeah, into? Yeah, no, that's right? terrible. <laughs> and it's so, terrible so you know changing the sales model from transactions to relationships is is so valuable right Being able yeah to- but
1: you know and everybody says that and like all your listeners and viewers you probably have heard it right be um in, instead of transactional you got to add value you have to sell solutions and you have to build relationships we all know but in reality, customers don't want to build relationships with you because in your LinkedIn profile, it says you're a salesperson, <laughs> right? So let's just let's just cut through that crap, okay? <laughs> How do you do that? How do you get through that? How are you seen? What are you doing that's different from the 10,000 other people that are sending them spammy messages or in-mails or connecting to grow their network on LinkedIn? And, oh, you popped up on my feed, and I thought you'd be an interesting person to all that times 100 times a day is what they're getting so how do you stand out that's the real question and that takes intentionality and that takes effort and a lot of people aren't willing to put in that work and the work i'm talking about is understanding and doing research on the industry you're going after understanding and doing research on the person that you're going after um once you do that you get to understand what challenges are coming their way? Maybe understanding new regulations that are coming into place, understanding laws that that state has, the you know, whatever it may be, and somehow adding value to them in that way. Not spammy, not nothing, but truly go for the relationship. When people want to build relationships, a lot of times what I'm seeing is their intention is off. The reason they want to build a relationship is so that they can sell them something. <laughs> right and you can smell it's, that a mile away yeah and everybody can and that's unfortunately that's what they expect these days that's what's expected that's why there's a big wall up that's why you can't get through and it's a it's a tough tough wall to climb you got to get very creative you got to put in double the work to talk to half the people usually but you know there's a reason there are snipers in the military right? They don't send a platoon of Marines to go get Osama bin Laden. They send an elite team of Navy SEALs who are going to come in at night for that one target. Everybody's working towards that one specific target. And if salespeople treat their clients... I don't want to say treat their clients like Osama bin Laden because that's not – do not shoot your clients in the face. What I want to say is treat your clients the way you would treat a mission where you had to go and get Osama bin Laden with that detail, veracity, knowing where he is, knowing what he's doing, knowing his whole schedule, understanding the challenges that he's going to take. Then you'll be able to get your goal.
0: Hmm. So Good. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Perfect Publishing, a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing carefully chooses heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You will see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, obviously, you've seen John Maxwell as as a mentor. What what other ways have mentors helped you in, in your journey?
1: Oh man, the guy who started the John Maxwell team, Paul Martinelli. He's um, he's my personal mentor. He's I hired him as my personal coach. Um, by the way, if if you're looking for a coach, never hire a coach who doesn't have a coach because <laughs> that means they don't really believe in coaching. Um, yeah, Paul Paul has just been instrumental because he thinks differently. He allows me to kind of – there are these programs that are running in my head. They're running in all of ours' heads. And I'll give you a prime example of this, right? Like I want to be a – uh, I wanted to be a public speaker. But every time I would get up on stage, I'm like, my 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 stomach is bubbling, my palms are sweating, my heart's beating like it's coming out of my chest. And I, I really dove into, why is that happening to me, you know? It turns out, I got back to, uh, <laughs> I was in sixth grade, like Russian immigrant, right? I just came here from Russia two years before that. So my English isn't, that great. It's still not that great, but it's better than it was. And I'm sitting down. I was asked to read uh, out of a book. And the word Arkansas came up. (laughs) And I'm reading and I say, Arkansas. I still remember that. Why? Because that one little memory with an emotional effect of embarrassment when the whole class laughed at me embedded in my mind that I cannot publicly speak in front of people. It's in there since I'm, you know, in, in sixth grade or fourth grade. I, yeah, sixth grade. So that was the program I'm running. Like, hey, if you get up and speak, people will laugh at you and make fun of you. And and that's all happening subconsciously without me even knowing. And what Paul helped me realize, and I'm not sure, I think it might be from Carl Jung who said, Until you make the subconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. Hmm. And that was, that's what was happening. You know, uh, an experience that happened to me at 11 years old is controlling my life and I'm calling it fate. So in that way, Paul's been instrumental. And I know Hmm. you've done some mentoring with Paul as well. And, you know, you've been through some of his programs, been through his programs, uh, similar programs. He's just a—he's on a different level.
0: Yeah, I uh, I hired him one on one, and uh, I bought a suit for the phone call. Wow! So the three-hour phone call with Paul and I made—I went out and bought a brand new suit to be on the telephone with him. Now, why <laughs> so, did you do that? To be in the right to to put myself in a, in a different mindset, like I belonged on okay. the phone with him. Yeah. So. All right. <laughs> You know, it was, it, it was the most expensive. Could, was it quality. a video call? No, it was a, it was a phone call. Yeah. Wow. But, but it, I paid, you know, I paid like $2,800 for that phone call for those three hours. Yeah. And so I'm, um, I wanted to be in the, I'm a business entrepreneur. I'm running my business and mindset. And so I, I bought a brand new suit and put on the suit and tie and 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 was on the phone with Paul for three hours, <laughs> and of course Man, you and I both you... know the power of three hours with Paul oh, is...
1: Yeah, three hours with Paul is is magical.
0: Absolutely, that's
1: great. So, how <laughs> but, much did the suit cost? I'm sure people are wondering that.
0: Uh, I want to say three hundred dollars, not near okay. as much as the phone call.
1: <laughs> Got it. So you spend a thousand bucks an hour. Why did you hire Pollock like, What were you thinking about?
0: I uh, just the transition into into entrepreneurship and and, you know, from, from ministry. And so Mm. he has, he has an incredible knack. And I, and I use this analogy with my clients. Um, Basically they every tell everyone tells you, you got to get outside of the box, but the instructions to get outside of the box are stuck on the outside. And so until you have somebody that can read those instructions, like, like you said, he, he figures, you know, he helps you figure out the stuff that happened 20 years ago, that's holding you back from, from making that choice.
1: Yeah. It's a powerful thing.
0: And so, yeah, being able to, uh, so yeah, I agree with you that if you don't have a coach or your coach doesn't have a coach, I mean, everybody should have a coach. I think everybody should have multiple coaches. Like I'm pretty sure I know Tom Brady has at least 10. So if Tom Brady has 10, including a quarterback coach, right? So if you'd say Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the world, who could coach him? The truth is he has a quarterback coach that's never thrown a football in the NFL. And yet that Magical, guy gives him instructions <laughs> on, on throwing a football because yeah. a coach can see things that, that he can't see when he's playing the game. And that's the value of, of a coach. And you and I obviously both know the value of coaching and, and having multiple coaches, right? Having a health coach, having a, a mindset coach, having a business coach. I mean, there's so many areas where coaching can provide value. Yeah, or just get a wife.
1: Coach. They know everything.
0: That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I love having my wife as my partner. So that's, that's been a fantastic part of this business and, and, uh, bringing her in more and more. Her and I have been doing some podcast interviews together, which has been, been really great. In fact, I'm hoping to interview a few folks from your neck of the woods down there. So yeah, Greg and Julie Gorman and, and uh, I know those guys. Yeah. And Roddy and Susan, hopefully we're going to get them on at some point. So, so fun stuff. All right. Since you switched gears, mentioned your wife. um, What was your most memorable date?
1: What was my most memorable date with my wife? Yeah. I forgot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now's your chance to make one up.
1: I wish I could tell you, man, we really we've done so much together. Like before we had kids, I remember I came home literally Friday, got off work early and we were living in Maryland. I'm like, hey, why don't we just go to Vegas for the weekend? She's like, huh? Literally got on the computer, booked a flight, flew to Vegas Friday night and came back sent- Monday morning like at 5 a.m. They're nice. like an overnight, yeah. Um, That's awesome. Oh, I like I like New Orleans, and my wife's never been. So for our ten year wedding anniversary, I decided I'm gonna get. Uh, we're gonna you know stay in New Orleans, but I've never I've been in New Orleans probably five times. I've never stayed where a balcony is facing Bourbon Street. Oh, okay. So you know where the all the party is? Yeah, French and, Quarter and all that fun stuff. The French Quarter. So. I got the hotel. It's like one of the most, one of the older hotels, second floor balcony, right over the bars and everything, Bourbon Street. This is the life. Now, my wife likes quiet. She's not a, she's not an extrovert (laughs) like I. So we go out, we have a great, great time, come home, come back to the hotel and it's probably two in the morning. And the fight breaks out. So we, we just got in maybe 20 minutes before, got in bed, fight breaks out right underneath. They fought for a long time. They were screaming, police for probably hours couldn't fall asleep. Finally, uh, people kind of disperse. And there's a party going on. Like that's, they never sleep on Bourbon Street until about, I don't know, 4 a.m. I don't even know what time it was. And then at 5 a.m., the band started playing again. <laughs> We didn't know. We had no idea that there's like specific uh, earplugs in the drawer next to the bed. No one told oh, no. us. But they put, yeah. So if you're ever going to uh, New Orleans and you're staying on Bourbon Street where your balcony's facing Bourbon Street, check to make sure there are earplugs, you know, next to your bed somewhere and use them.
0: That's awesome. So. Let's talk about building your audience. Obviously, you transitioned from copier sales. You built an audience around your business-to-business selling secrets. And now you've got Lead, Sell, Grow. What what are some of the tools that have helped you to to build an audience to create a following?
1: I think consistency is number one. Um, Picking a couple of places to be and focusing on those places and consistently being there. And that's that's kind of my weakness, too, because I'm not as consistent as I want to be. So I have a Facebook group, and I'll do well for a little while. And then I kind of, you know, life gets in the way, I'm busy. And then I come back to it, and life gets in the way, I'm busy. That's one. Two, I think people, you know, if you want to build an audience, before I thought you had to be the smartest guy in the room. And what I noticed, and, you know, we want to teach, but people don't want to be taught. Everybody loves to learn. They hate to be taught. Yet mm. most of us, you know, want to be influencers out there. We're, we're just spewing something we just read in a book, right? So what I realized is when I shifted from kind of being the teacher to sharing stories, like, hey, what's working? Where am I failing? And being humble enough to share where I messed up. Like my Facebook group, I lost my biggest client two weeks ago. Mm. Like big client right? Supply chain issues, blah, blah, blah. I got in a group. I was still, nothing changed in my life. Like I still got up at 3.30 in the morning. I still did my meditation, journaling, reading, went to the gym by 5 a.m. And I posted from the gym, like I typically do, same happy face with, hey, I just had a huge kick in the groin. And here's what I'm doing about it. Because there are a lot more people who are, who have experienced a traumatic event or something negative in their life and they want to feel like they're not alone and they want to hear ideas that, you know, Hey, what are you doing to get through it? They don't, they don't need a dad or a mom constantly telling them what to do. So I think if, if you want to grow an audience, you have to be authentic. You have to really think through what people are going through and what do they need at this time that can help them get out of it and share your story, share your authentic self with them.
0: Yeah, I like that so much. So many people trying to be somebody else out there instead Mm -hmm. of just being themselves and finding the people that are attracted to them and their voice. Very true. Absolutely. So obviously, developing confidence, figuring out that that story as a kid. Obviously, I think the Marine Corps probably played a role in your confidence. But what's helped you in, in building confidence?
1: Just being stupid enough not to know when I failed. <laughs> you know, I think that's probably the best way I could tell you. Um, I don't know. There's just some value in that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, okay, I tried that. That didn't work. On to the next one. Um, oh, that worked. Okay, great. Now I got a little more confidence. That didn't work. Well, I'm confident that I tried it. Let's go try something else. <laughs> you know, I think writing a book. like I. I sucked in school. I wrote a book um, surrounding myself with other people who once you get to know them, you know, there's nothing extremely special about them. They just kind of take action where most others don't. And it's encouraging and it kind of gives you the same, um, same ability to take those actions and actually take the steps necessary to move forward.
0: Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about character and, and growing growing your character um, as, as an entrepreneur or the value of having character as an entrepreneur. Well,
1: I think there's value in having, I think you need to have, everybody has character, right? <laughs> it's either good, bad, I mean, but we all have character and I don't know that you should have a different character when you're a business owner than you do with your family or your friends or anybody else. Hmm. Um, you just you either have it or you don't have it. You know, you either develop it or you don't develop it. But if you're if you're the type of person who's going to lie lie to your family, you're probably going to lie to your clients and everything else as well.
0: Or vice versa. Or vice versa. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did you choose your
1: niche. I don't think I still chose a niche. I mean, (laughs) I just, I, yeah, I'm having a tough time. And every time you talk to like a marketing company, they're like, what is your niche? Define your person. I'm like, well, people are my niche. I like people, people who are stuck, people who are, you know, people who see this grand vision for themselves and they know that they want to do X, Y, Z, but they just can't take that step. Mm. There's some some anchor that's tied to them that they just they know they want to do it they can't take the step they don't know why they can't take the step. That was me with podcasting. I literally had, uh, I think I shared this with you, Robert, before we we went we started recording. I had start a podcast as a New Year's resolution since 2016. I started one in 2020. <laughs> I watched every YouTube video. I had every idea. I got like hundreds of names for podcasts that I wrote down and I was ready. I had all the equipment. I bought this microphone. (laughs) I bought this microphone in 2016, but I never started a podcast. And what people don't realize is that you'll never outperform your self-image. I never saw myself as a podcaster. Therefore, I could not start a podcast. Mm. And oftentimes people don't know what their self-image is. And when we say self-image, it's not what you see in the mirror, it's it's what you're you see and feel who you are inside of you. That's the that's the image you'll never ever outperform. So if you don't believe that you're the type of person that can make a million dollars, you never will. That was one of my issues. Growing up poor, being an immigrant, I had so many stories. No <laughs> one in my family's ever made a million dollars. How can I do that? And we focus on those things and main reason for that is because our brain kind of wants to keep us in a safe place and it perceives going after a million bucks or starting a podcast or starting your own company or writing a book or whatever it is you want to do as getting out of the comfort zone, equaling pain zone, discomfort, and the mind wants to pull us back to where it's comfortable on a lazy boy couch this show is sponsored by lazy boy by the way (laughs) that'd be awesome wouldn't it shout out (laughs) yeah yeah you could like do it from a lazy boy couch you know just kind of reclining
0: (laughs) absolutely so what helped you make that identity shift
1: i make it every day Mm. it's a it's a constant ongoing battle and a lot of it paul's doing as well Mm. right it's like Okay, you said you were going to do this. You didn't do it. Why? Uh, And now I have to really think why. What is the belief? What's the program that's running there that's stopping me from it?
0: Yeah, we talked about the title of a book where you just don't understand. And and I know people have used that language with Paul. Well, you just don't understand I'm an immigrant. You just don't understand I was raised poor. You just don't understand.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of work. all
0: All those are lies.
1: All those are lies. Yeah, none of like I'm. i I'm a firm believer that, and and this is through my own experiences, through the people that I've met, the the circles I hung around in, that our past has absolutely no bearing on our future. Mm, so good, because our past is it's it doesn't exist. It happened, yeah, it happened, but we can. It doesn't have to affect your tomorrow. The only thing that affects your tomorrow is how you feel and think about the past. Well, the and story our you tell thoughts,
0: yourself. Yeah, it's the
1: story you tell yourself. And it's our thoughts that cause our feelings, that cause the actions we take. The beautiful part about that is that we can choose the thoughts that we think. You don't have to control your thoughts. Like you can, As soon as a thought comes in that doesn't serve you or what it is that you want to accomplish – we can let that. Yeah, I, I hear you. I should probably go wash the dishes right now when it's time to cold call a new clients. That sounds like a good or check emails. Right. As Paul says, it's like really cunning, this this voice that comes in. But you can say, no, 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 no. I can wash the dishes later. They'll be there right now is the time to prospect.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. That's so good. So you mentioned routine earlier and you have a pretty specific routine. How, how have routines helped? some have helped a lot but
1: um i you know like going to the gym has helped meditating has helped journaling has helped uh creating that vision of you know when i journal it's not like writing in a diary about what happened yesterday it's about writing out the future that i want for my life and being super grateful for it Mm. it's seeing that which has not happened yet and being grateful for it and what i'm really doing is conditioning my mind for that kind of setting the gps for me to go get it
0: Mm, so good so let's let's talk about gratitude a little more tell me tell me about the value of gratitude and and how that's helping you grow
1: man we could talk about that for hours let's do it um (laughs) yeah unfortunately i have about four minutes okay (laughs) and i have another call but for gratitude and this goes into the law of um law of attraction the law of vibra- of vibration there are these universal laws that guide us like like every nobody's going to argue the fact that if i drop a pencil here it's going to fall if i drop it in japan it's going to fall there's a law a universal law that causes that pencil to fall but there are universal laws that cause things help us attract and manifest certain things. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. I've seen it happen in my life many, many times. And it happens very fast. And one of the ways that it happens, because by law, if you do certain things, certain, you know, it's a cause and effect thing. And one of those causes is being grateful for that, which you do not yet possess as if you had it
0: hmm.
1: vividly seeing it, knowing how you would feel in it. And you know what's crazy, Robert, is that people do it all the time. Like you did it when you went and bought the suit for your call with Paul. You had a vision for that call. You knew how you were going to feel when you wore a certain suit. And you didn't go to like K&G where it was $33 suits or Walmart. You went and got a $300 suit. Now, we do that when we go out for the evening and you hear people say, yeah, I'm not going to have a heavy dinner because I want to be able to dance or I want to move. I'm just going to have a light salad. So I feel better when I go to sleep, we already do it. We just do it unintentionally. And it's the same energy. And guess what? You feel exactly how you thought you were going to feel when you eat the salad. Now, which one came first? (laughs) And if we take that same energy and apply it towards creating our future, reaching our goals, um you'll get the same results
0: mm.
1: and that's whatever it is your your goal is is literally vividly writing it down maybe you want a house on a beach you're you know describe it what do you see when you walk in how how big is the window how tall is your ceiling what does it smell like what does it feel like how good does that feel to be standing there and looking at the ocean from your living room mm. right so good. and if you can if you can do that and feel into that moment
0: You'll attract it. Love that. Obviously, you got another call, and I so appreciate you taking the time today, Eric. It's been a, a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for. Yeah, it was a pleasure. If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you're struggling with stress, feel like life is out of control, run out of time before your to-do list is finished, or we have a gift for you. Stop by AdValueMindset.com and claim your free gift today. In our next episode, Chelsea Haynes and Robert have a mind blowing conversation about the impact of the mind on gut health and how so much of the diet industry is based on scarcity and fear. Chelsea shares incredibly powerful mind and spirit tools to help people take control of their health. Chelsea extends so much grace in the freedom to enjoy food rather than have this good and bad relationship with food that creates guilt and shame which are not helpful emotions for finding success.